five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Inside You, the college sports podcast. I am your host, Xavier Audic, and we are back. It is Monday, November 5th, 2018, and another huge weekend in college sports. We got a lot to get into. First, as always, we'll go through I was right and I was wrong, discuss this last weekend's top college football games. Then I will tell you why Les Miles might be on his way back to coaching somewhere. The Mad Hatter returns. Then I'm going to preview this weekend's top Power 5 football games, given that it is Power 5 Monday. And finally, for the first time all year, I will preview a couple of college basketball games. So let's get right into it. First things first, as always, I was right and I was wrong. I was right that Mizzou would upset Florida. Final score there, 38-17. to Drew Locke, 24 of 32 for 250 yards. Florida's offense continues to struggle, leading to Felipe Franks being benched for Kyle Trask in the second half by Florida head coach Dan Mullen. Mullen's team now has lost two in a row, certainly not where they were a couple of weeks ago when it looked like they had an outside chance of winning that SEC East. And with Jake Benley, Debo Samuels, and South Carolina coming this week into the swamp, there's a very good chance that it could be three in a row. So I'll get more on that later. Then I was wrong that UVA would defeat Pitt. UVA looked like the darling of the Atlantic Coastal. Pitt now in charge of that Coastal. They're 23 and 13, even with being five and four overall, and a team that Pat Narduzzi and Co. was very excited about going into the season. Certainly underperformed a little bit, but if they could win the Coastal, that'd still be a huge way to end their season. Then I was right that West Virginia would defeat Texas. Final score there, 42-41. to 41. Will Greer, an impressive three touchdowns, 346 yards. But the real story being here, the throw he had to Greg Jennings to tie the, to get the game to 40-41. And then the gutsy call by Daniel Horgerson to go for two. Greer initially throwing a slant route to his star wide receiver, David Sills. Unfortunately, before that play happened, Texas did manage to get a timeout in. After a couple of more timeouts, Greer ended up running it in, winning 42-41 to in Austin. Certainly a big victory for the Mountaineers as they now sit atop that Big 12, and they are sitting pretty with Oklahoma, their biggest competitor, having to come to town in a couple of weeks. So I was wrong that Colorado would defeat Arizona. Final score there, 42-34. to The real story, though, here being Khalil Tate, 350 yards and five touchdowns through the air, and now with that victory over Colorado, the Pac-12 South is a three-way tie between Utah, SC, and Arizona, although Utah does have the tiebreaker over both Arizona and USC, so they sit a little bit ahead. But with Utah quarterback Tyler Huntley having broken his collarbone and being out for the season, it is anyone's division to win. Then I was right that Georgia would defeat Kentucky. Final score there, 34-17. to DeAndre Swift, 156 yards rushing. Two touchdowns. Elijah Holyfield added another 115. And the Georgia Bulldogs have won the SEC East. They will face Alabama in the SEC Championship game in Atlanta for setting up what could be the first of a preview of a potential national championship game. Then, I was wrong that Texas A&M would defeat Auburn. Gus Malzahn finding a way to get the job done. They trailed 24-14 to for most of the game, but ultimately, Jarrett Stidham showed why many people thought he would be the best quarterback in the SEC, ending up to get the job done there. Certainly a good win for Gus Malzahn's team, especially with them facing Georgia this weekend. Should be interesting to see what happens. And then remember, we have the Iron Bowl against Alabama. If Gus Malzahn were able to beat and upset Georgia and Alabama, that would certainly go a long way to assisting his 
those doubters and, and people who are calling for him to be bought out. Then I was right that Michigan would defeat Penn State. Final score there, 42-7. to Shea Patterson, three touchdowns total. Michigan now looks like they are the best team in the Big Ten East with Ohio State struggling to put away a tougher-than-expected Nebraska team. Final score there, 36-31. The big story for Michigan being that they got back star wide receiver Tarek Black and defensive standout Rashawn Gary. They look like they have arguably the best defense in all of college football right now, and the offense appears to have found a way to get the job done. Should be very interesting to see what happens with this Harbaugh team going into the game, which looks like it will now decide the the Big Ten East. Then... I was wrong that Kansas would defeat Iowa State. Final score there, 27-3. Brock Purdy, 263 yards. And the Cyclones and Matt Campbell to continue to get the job done. want to talk a little bit about Matt Campbell. Campbell is a guy who became up on national radars last year following their upset over Oklahoma. Since then, they've continued to pull off a couple of upsets. Should be very interesting to see what his future holds. He did just sign an extension going into this season with Iowa State. But if a big school were to come calling, I don't think he would... necessarily be reluctant to at least hear their offer now looking at the landscape of college football openings that are likely to happen in the near future it does not look like any of the top power five programs the blue bloods the texas's the lsu's alabama's are in the mood to make a change this year so i think he returns to Ames next year but certainly a guy you don't want to forget about when you're talking about who could fill some of the head coaching vacancies then I was right that Notre Dame would defeat Northwestern. Final score there, 31-21. Ian Book continues to impress after a slow start, 343 yards, two touchdowns. And this is a bigger win than I think a lot of people are realizing. The Big Ten West right now is in seriously a state of chaos. Northwestern, though, it does sit atop of there with a 5-1 conference record. This was a nice comparison victory if Northwestern does end up coming out of the West that the committee can look at if let's say Notre Dame were to lose, or even if they went out and go undefeated, if Northwestern can give a tough game to whether it is Ohio State or Michigan, that would go a long way to assisting the Fighting Irish's resume. So then I was wrong that Kansas State would defeat TCU. Final score there, 14-13. to Kansas State now drops to 1-5 in conference, 3-6 and overall, and star quarterback Skylar Thompson was hurt in the game. No update yet on how significant the injury was, but another loss for, for Bill Snyder's team. We will get in a little bit later about his comments post-game, which I do have a serious issue with. So then I was right that Alabama would defeat LSU. Final score there, 29-0, a shutout. Two attack of low, throwing his first and only interception of the season, but he did bounce back. Also, the game was really about how dominant Alabama's offensive and defensive lines were. They just consistently manhandled the LSU Offense holding it to only 12 rushing yards total. That is one, two. Yes, you heard that correctly. Of course, continue have to be concerned about Tua Tagovailoa's knee. After he broke off for a 44-yard rushing touchdown, he did end up coming limp. And he, although he did return to the game, that it still appears to be a cause for concern. I know Nick Saban and co. like to put the, oh, he's fine, he's fine voodoo on him. But this is the third time now that I can recall he injured himself on a non-contact play. I just fear for what if he actually were to receive the full force of a hit from whether it be one of these star defensive linemen on Michigan State's team who they played this weekend or Auburn or Georgia in the SEC championship game or any teams of those playoffs. So going to have to continue to monitor Tagovailoa's knee. 
And then I was wrong that Iowa would defeat Purdue. Final score there, 38-36. to 36. They won on a late field goal. Purdue now 5-4 and four overall, but 4-2 and two in the Big Ten West. They're second in the West in a tie with Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Indiana. Excuse me. They're second in the West. And looking at the rest of their schedule, they've got Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Indiana. So if they were to get some assistance from Northwestern, they do have a shot of winning the West. That'd be a surprise for a lot of people and would only continue to assist Jeff Braun's legacy as, as it looks like he will be moving on sooner rather than later from that program. Then I was right that ASU would defeat Utah. Final score there, 38-20. to 20. The real story, though, Utah starting quarterback Talia Huntley broke his collarbone. Looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the season. A big loss to a Utah team, which looked like they were in command of that Pac-12 South. Now the Pac-12 South is a three-way tie with Utah, USC, and Arizona, like I said earlier. Going to be interesting to see what happens as the Trojans, who I think thought that their season was essentially over, now have something huge to play for. And Kill Harry continues to be dominant. Nine catches for 161 yards. Had it not been for some of the losses that ASU had against some less than impressive competition, certainly likely that he would be in that Heisman Trophy conversation. But he continues to impress. And also, when we talk about Arizona State, we have to remember that Herm Edwards is doing that. Doing this, a lot of people were detractors of Ray Anderson's decision to hire Herm. But looking at some of the other first-year head coaches out there, whether it be Dan Mullen at Florida, Chip Kelly at UCLA, Willie Taggart at Florida State, or Scott Frost at Nebraska, the higher-profile guys, in my mind, Herm Edwards has outperformed all of them. His team right now has a very good shot to go 7-5, and five, which a lot of people predicted they wouldn't get to. And if they can finish 8-4, and four, which looking at their schedule, they do have a chance to do. That would go a long way for the Sun Devils. And I think it would be a great start for Herm Edwards. And so I want to applaud him for their upset over Utah and for what's looking like will end up being the best hire after the first year. So that gets us to I was wrong then that Akron would defeat NIU. Final score there, 38-26. to The real star of this game being defensive back Jalen McKee for Northern Illinois. He had a blocked extra point and a pick six to seal the victory. Northern Illinois now is 5-0 in the MAC, and with some of the other openings in college football already, should be interesting to see what Rod Carey's future holds. So then I was right that Central Florida would defeat Temple. Final score there, 52-40. to Mackenzie Milton, 312 yards and three touchdowns. And the real question here will be with the loss of LSU and the loss of Kentucky, what will the Golden Knights CFP ranking be on Tuesday night when the second ranking is released. I've said it before, but this Central Knights team, excuse me, this Golden Knights team does look like the defense has taken a bit of a step back. They don't appear to be as strong as they were last year with the likes of guys like Shaquem Griffin, but still very impressive. They continue to get the job done. And if they do run the table, I'd like to see them not just play for a New Year's Six Bowl, but play for something more. But realistically, it probably won't happen. I just think numbers-wise, the highest they get to is probably about number seven, I would say. Then, I was right that Army would defeat Air Force. Final score there, 17-14. Army takes a huge step forward in hoping to attain the Commander-in-Chief trophy. Then I was right that Boise State would defeat BYU. Final score there, 21-16. Now, this game could have definitely gone the other way. BYU certainly had their moments. Zach Wilson was sacked on the final play of the game after holding onto the ball too long on the Army. Army about four yard line, excuse me, on the Boise four yard line, very well could have won that game had their shot 
but Boise State and Brian Harrison continue to get the job done. They're now seven and two and very much in play in that Mountain West Mountain Conference. Should be interesting to see what happens with them going forward and more importantly, what happens with head coach Brian Harrison. And then finally, I was right that Tulane would defeat South Florida. Final score there, 41 to 15. Charlie's strong team taking a huge step back. Tulane now 2-0 since Justin McMillan, the LSU transfer quarterback, took over. And the big story here was the score was 27-3 at half. And with Tulane having East Carolina this week, a very good chance to go 3-0 with McMillan under center. So Willie Fritz's team definitely has a shot of life in them. They're looking better. Conversely, Charlie Strong seems to take another step back. That's two in a row now, and it should be interesting to see what happens with this South Florida team going forward. I know a lot of people were excited about the war on I-40, but now it looks like that game might not be of the same magnitude that we expected a couple of weeks ago. So that moves us along to the top story. Oh, I was 11-7 and last week. Uh, not a great week, but better. At least had a winning record. What are you going to do? It's, it's football. It's sports. These things happen. So that moves us along to the top stories in college sports. The first one, no surprise, really, David Beattie is out at Kansas. He was 6-39 and as a head coach and 3-6 and this year. He will finish the season. Beattie's firing, to me, is a little bit of heartbreaking because it did appear like the Jayhawks players were still playing for him, and with Puka, Williams, and Peyton Bender, it looked like they were at least capable of maybe winning a few more games. But this is really no surprise given that new athletic director Chip Long came in and replaced Shannon Sheehan Zanger coming in. Whenever they make a move at the athletic director, you only think it's a matter of time for them to do the same at head coach. Now, Long has already said that they're going to look to hire a head coach with head coaching experience. A couple of names that have come to mind are Chris Kleinman, the North Dakota State coach. He's only 51. He's 66, 63 and 6 with three FCS titles and he previously coached defensive backs at Kansas back in 1997. Then obviously his former boss, Craig Bowl, who's 60, the, the Wyoming head coach. Oh, I don't see him leaving. But the real intriguing how would be Les Miles. You know, looking at Kansas, they're a basketball school. Long has made it no bones about it that their really only expectation for the football program is to be bowl eligible regularly. And then if they get there, if they could put together a seven and five, eight and four, nine and three season, they would be ecstatic. That's why I really do like the rumored hire of Les Miles. Miles is a huge high profile guy. He would hopefully open up some of those SEC recruiting pipelines. Also, he's going to bring a lot of positive press and notoriety to your program. Should be interesting to see if there could be some type of Lane Kiffin effect at Kansas like there was at UCF when they brought in Lane Kiffin. And I think it'd just be a smart move for the program. I don't know if it will actually happen. You know, Miles has said that repeatedly that he would like to get back into coaching, but who knows, maybe the calls of Hollywood are just too tantalizing for him to turn down. But if they do go that route, I have no problem with it. And I think it'd be a smart move for a program that is consistently and probably will continue to always be a step behind the Kansas basketball team. So that moves us along to a bit of a tragedy for all anyone who has a live mascot out there. The Air Force Academy's, the Air Force Academy's live mascot, Aurora, 22 years old, was injured after she was unfortunately kidnapped by some Army cadets. Aurora injured her wing after she was held hostage and placed in a dog crate. The prognosis, though, although initially looking like they might have to euthanize Aurora, is good. She's been flying around, but this is a 
good point of order for anyone who has a live mascot out there. I know it's college football season. This was a rivalry game. People want to get excited. You hear about these people planning pranks and stuff like that. But let's have some common sense. These are live mascots. They're animals. And a lot of these things like Aurora, who's 22 years old, don't need that kind of excitement in their lives. So hopefully Aurora receives a speed recovery and we look to see her flying around the Air Force Academy Stadium sometime soon. Then James Carville, the political strategist, was on game day this last week. And Carville had already called out the SEC via a blog post basically claiming that there was collusion between the SEC and Alabama. He then went on game day wearing an LSU shirt and proceeded to promote this theory of how the SEC repeatedly calls targeting penalties against the opposing team's best defensive player to assist Alabama in their pursuit of victories. After this Statement by Carville on game day. ESPN later released an apology to Greg Sankey and the SEC. Frankly, I think the apology actually further gives evidence to the belief of collusion between the SEC and ESPN and Alabama because they repeatedly have people like James Carville who are kind of meant to be um, Political lightning rods, you know, people make outrageous statements on their show. And this is the first live apology I've seen to a commissioner. Uh, certainly was a little bit surprised that they did it. But more importantly, the fact that they even had Carvel on there in the first place. What did you guys really expect? The reason they had him on game day was because they wanted him to make some type of statement like this. If you look at the reaction by Jesse Palmer, Desmond Howard, Lee Corsa, the other game day analysts who were on there, they all kind of look like they're enjoying it. And I think it was just more a situation of they had after the fact apologized for something, but initially they were very pleased by Carvel making such an outlandic statement. I obviously don't think it's true. I've repeatedly said my issues with the targeting penalty are that I don't think it accounts for the fact that this is a game. You have bodies moving at a high rate of speed and things like these happen. Certainly I know there are some steps to try and unify some of the rules with the NFL taking a lead at, on that. But for the time being, it will probably continue to be a penalty that is unfairly and disproportionately enforced. So just kind of an interesting thing to note there. Then Bill Snyder, the Kansas State head coach and a legitimate legend in college football, his team lost again, like I said earlier, to TCU. In Snyder's opinion, the game centered on a blown punt return by Isaiah Zuber, the Kansas State punt returner. After the game, Snyder was asked about the play, and he pretty much singled out Zuber, saying that the game came down, special teams as a whole came down to really one guy. I have a problem with this statement. First off, the punt, the muff punt return happened in the first quarter. There was a lot of time left, and they only lost by one point. More importantly, Snyder, remember, right now is kind of under criticism because he appears to be at a bit of an impasse given that the school appears to want to move on from him, but they can't fire him because he's such a big deal. But conversely, Snyder wants his son Alex to take over and succeed him, but the school doesn't want that. So we're in this weird kind of holding pattern where the school can't fire him, but Snyder still won't retire. I don't think it will get any better. You know, already there was rumors that the coaching staff was in a bit of a controversy given that some of the coaches wanted Alex Delton to be the quarterback. Others wanted Skylar Thompson. I forget which one 
Bill Snyder back, but it was the one that the most of the coaching staff felt like shouldn't have been. Um, and I think this is only going to further deteriorate. Um, but this statement by Bill Snyder, in my opinion, which I think looking at his history was very uncharacteristic for him, was I think more of the frustration that comes with trying to resolve this issue at Kansas State. You certainly don't want to tarnish a long and very successful legacy just with the last couple of months or years just because of kind of some foolishness, but I don't know if it will get any better anytime soon. But Coach Snyder, I understand you're frustrated. Please, though, don't single out a player like this again. And then Jalen LeCou, a high school basketball player who initially would have graduated this past year and already be playing college, he decided to reclassify, and he is an NC State commit. Given that his initial year of graduation would have been this past year, he'll now be entitled for the 2019 NBA draft. He said that rather than go to NC State, he might go straight to the draft if he were to have assurances that he would be a first-round pick. I think this is kind of another example of what we might see guys do going to prep schools maybe rather than going to college to try and work around that one year after graduation rule that American players have to face. I don't like the rule for a number of reasons, but the first one being that it unfairly prejudices American basketball players because European basketball players don't face the same rule. But I think similar with the Darius Baisley situation, this will continue to be more of an a one-off than an actual trend among high school basketball players. The reality is, and as I forget, I think it was an, a Yahoo Sports article I read, they're going to receive far better training and facilities and tra- treatment at the top blue blood college basketball programs. And so for the time being, they'll probably still have a monopoly on the top talent. So that moves us into the previews for this weekend. A couple of very interesting games. The first one being the Kansas Kansas State rivalry game. Kansas State, they're favored by 12. I think Kansas will get the job done here, but I think you have to take the under. You know, Kansas very much, very likely could pull off the upset. I know they lost to Iowa State 27-3, and head coach David Beatty has just been announced that he will be fired officially come the end of the season. But they still have one of the best defenses in the country. This game could be another close game like last weekend against TCU for Kansas State very likely could turn on just a couple of possessions or even a late field goal. And that's why the Jayhawks could pull it off. But I do think Kansas State does get the job done. They appear to have just slightly more offensive firepower than the Jayhawks. But I think this game is going to be more interesting for what it signifies, as there's a chance that both head coaches could not be long for their situations. Obviously, BD is already out. Now the question is what a loss here or the rest of the season would mean for Bill Snyder. Then, Wisconsin traveling to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. Penn State favored by 7.5. Wisconsin coming off a 31-17 victory over Rutgers, and they've got Purdue on the horizon. Very interesting to see. Wisconsin right now still very much in play for the Big Ten West. Penn State, on the other hand, very good shot at getting nine wins. I know this season started with a lot of hopes and a lot of dreams, considering the tandem of Trace McSorley and James Franklin. Unfortunately, the Nittany Lions have not performed as well as people would have liked. Trace McSorley continues to appear hobbled from the injury he suffered in the Iowa game. And as bad as these two teams have underperformed so far, I still think Wisconsin rises up and pulls off the upset here. And looking at this Wisconsin team, one thing that they do have going for them is that they benefit from 
star quarterback Alex Cornybrook, as well as star quarterback Jonathan Taylor returning next year. Conversely, this is Trace McSorley's last year, and I think this could be symptomatic of the fact that James Franklin may not be long for that Penn State job. With a new quarterback next year, it'll be interesting to see how this team performs. You know, prior to Joe Moorhead, the new head coach at Mississippi State, showing up in Happy Valley, people were slightly unhappy with James Franklin and how he'd done it in his initial two years. But when Moorhead showed up, they really did get the offensive gear. And while they did suffer some tough defeats, they were able to win a Big Ten championship. But unfortunately, since Moorhead left for Mississippi State, and what I thought might happen, the offense has appeared to struggle a little bit. A lot of people are still unhappy about that fourth down call against Ohio State, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. But like I said, I think the Badgers pull off the upset. Then South Carolina traveling to the Swamp to take on Florida. Florida favored by a touchdown. South Carolina coming off a shootout with Ole Miss. Final score there, 48-44. to Florida coming off a blowout by Mizzou, 38-17. to That game, like I mentioned, resulted in Dan Mullen pulling Felipe Franks for Kyle Trask. And looking at this game, you have to wonder if the Gators might be in for another blowout. Jake Bentley and Debo Samuels are a potent tandem. Bentley, I would say, is while he may not have the same firepower of Drew Locke, is slightly more accurate. He could just kill this Gators defense with death by a thousand paper cuts. So I've got the Gamecocks pulling off the upset there. I just think that while Dan Mullen will eventually turn around that program, they're a couple of years away from really getting it done. Then... Probably one of the bigger games of the weekend. Ohio State traveling to East Lansing to take on Michigan State. Ohio State, they're favored by four. They're coming off a closer-than-expected victory to Nebraska, 36-31. Going into the season, I thought that this game would always be difficult for Ohio State just because of when it took place. This is right before they enter one of the tougher stretches of recent memory where they have to play Michigan and Michigan State just a couple weeks apart. But Urban Meyer's team got the job done. Michigan State coming off a 24-3 victory over Maryland. Certainly, Michigan State, like Penn State, is not meeting the preseason expectations, which had them winning their side of the Big Ten and possibly more. But they still show a lockdown defense that can make guys struggle. It will be interesting to see how star quarterback Dwayne Haskins performs in this game. He absolutely looked completely out of sorts in the Buckeyes' loss to Purdue a couple of weeks ago. He did rebound this last week in 18 of 32 with two touchdowns, but given Mike D'Antonio, Mark D'Antonio's ability to just disrupt quarterbacks, that could be the big story. If they were to keep this thing close, it would not surprise me to see Michigan State pull off a 10-7, 13-10 victory, but I do think the Buckeyes get the job done here. Then, moving over to Pac-12 play. We have UCLA traveling to Arizona State. Arizona State favored by 12.5. UCLA coming off a blowout to Oregon, 42-21. Arizona State conversely beat Utah, 38-21. The real story for UCLA is whether Wilton Spates or DTR Dorian Thompson-Robinson will be their starting quarterback since getting Spates back from injury. They've been kind of experimenting with both. The real question for me is, well, I think this game will be closer than expected, closer than the... 12 points, 12 and a half point spread is how UCLA is going to score, you know, and kill Harry and Manny Wilkins. while they haven't been able to turn them always into wins have shown that they can score at will. Like I mentioned earlier, and kill Harry is playing like a Heisman trophy candidate. UCLA's defense conversely, while it has impressed me, 
Their offense has struggled mightily to put points on the board. And I think the Sun Devils pull out a very, very close victory here and which will be a lot closer than most people expect. Then in a huge ACC Coastal match of Virginia Tech traveling to Pitt, Pitt favored by two and a half coming off an upset of Virginia, 23 to 13, the final score there. Virginia Tech conversely coming off a loss to Boston College, 31 to 21. Bud Foster's defense continues to struggle. This is another game which I think will be a lot closer than expected. Although I do think Pitt does just enough to get the job done as Pat Narduzzi's takes another team takes another step forward to the ultimate whipping that they were received by Clemson in a couple of weeks in the ACC championship game. Then we've got Oregon traveling to Utah. Utah, they're favored by three and a half. Oregon coming off a 42-21 victory over UCLA. Certainly the Ducks have struggled in the last few weeks, very much showing their vulnerability in losses to Washington State and another team. Utah, on the other hand, they lost to ASU last week, but the real story being that they don't have Tyler Huntley. With Huntley, I think the Utes would have been able to emphasize ball control and play the clock. But with Jason Shelley as their starting quarterback, I just think Herbert and Co. are going to come in and rain down a 1,000 yards on them. So I've got the Ducks pulling out the upset there. Then in a huge ACC game, which has implications for the ACC Atlantic Division, Clemson traveling to Boston College. This is the game day game of the week. Clemson favored by 17 and a half. They're coming off a 77-16 victory over Louisville, which saw Dabo Sweeney's son score his first touchdown of college football. Sweeney's son is a walk-on ride receiver for the Tigers. Boston College in their hand coming off a 31-21 victory over Virginia Tech. They have looked like a completely different team ever since star running back A.J. Dillon returned. But I think the Tigers and Co. get the job done. And whether it's Dexter Lawrence or one of the other defensive linemen, you're going to see them line up and score another touchdown this week. Then, and finally, for college football, Texas traveling to Texas Tech. Tech, they're favored by a point. Texas coming off a close, heartbreaking loss to West Virginia, 42-41. to Tech conversely lost to OU, 51-46. to The real story being the health of Alan Bowman. Bowman was taken to the hospital to check out his recently collapsed lung. Unclear whether he or Jet Duffy will play against the Longhorns. If Duffy were to start, you'd have to say Sam Learning and Co. probably get the job done there. But this game will be a shootout. This will be a classic Big 12. It's whoever scores last type of matchup. Even with having lost now two in a row, I think the Longhorns get the job done, pulling off the upset and rallying together. Should be interesting to see how the long season horn season unfolds. They certainly entered and had a lot of hype midseason when it looked like they could win the Big 12, especially after that victory over Oklahoma. You know, all the Texas is back stuff, but since then they appear to have regressed. The loss to Oklahoma State was just absolutely characteristic of the old loss, Longhorns. And then this last week, again, they really lost a coin toss to West Virginia. Again, arguably the best team in the Big 12 right now. So... Should be interesting to see how Herman's team responds. If they were to lose this weekend, don't be surprised if the calls for Herman to be fired return. He had just managed to stave them off because of that kind of stretch of games he put together with wins over the likes of USC and Oklahoma. But if they were to drop three straight, four losses in the year, and the possibility of a fifth loss on the horizon would not be surprising if people started calling for his firing. So what I'm most excited about today is the start of college basketball season tomorrow, Tuesday, November 6th. 
Naturally, that result means that I'll be breaking down my first two college basketball games of the year. The two biggest ones that you've probably heard about all week if you've been following sports, the Champions Classic in Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. First game being Michigan State taking on Kansas. Kansas favored by five. Now, Michigan State here is an interesting team in that we know with Tom Izzo's team what you're going to do. You're going to play defense and you're going to rebound. Now, the question for the Spartans is if they're going, how they're going to score. They lost Athletic Freaks, Jaron Jackson, and Mikhail Bridges. I know they have Cassius Winston and some of the other pieces back and Henry Ward. But looking at this Spartans team, I just don't know how they're going to outscore this Jayhawks team. The Jayhawks team certainly a question of what kind of mindset they'll have entering this game. You know, the Jayhawks were one of the teams that was most heavily implicated by the pay-for-play scandal. Head coach Bill Self himself was even implicated. It's still unclear whether Silvio D'Souza will suit up for the Jayhawks in this game. D'Souza had been suspended pending an investigation into his eligibility following his name and the name of his legal guardian coming up repeatedly in the pay-for-play scandal. Still, though, with this Kansas team, they're going to benefit from the transfer of former Michigan player Dedrick Lawson. should be interesting to see what happens with him and his brother KJ Lawson. But the real story for me and the real difference breaker in this game is Udoka Azubike. This guy can play. He has tremendous footwork. The moves that he's able to make for a guy his size just impress me very much. He appears to be the next star center to come out of college basketball. Looking at that Michigan State roster, it's kind of unclear who's going to draw the responsibility of having to guard him. Most likely Bingham, but even with that, or whether they go to zone, having a presence in the middle like Azubike is going to be trouble for any team. If the Spartans try and zone them, then they may just be setting up a lot of open three-pointers for the Jayhawks. Conversely, if they try to go man-to-man, this guy could easily put down 20. I just think that the Jayhawks get it done. And if between this game or the Duke and Kentucky game later, one of them were to be a blowout, I think it would be this one just because of one team having such a strong offensive ability and their team being a bit of a question mark. But conversely, Michigan State could still put down the lockdown defense and come out with a three or five point victory just by keeping it close all game and then pulling away at the end. But a very fun and interesting matchup to start the year. And then the bigger game, and the game that I think is more symptomatic of the current state of college basketball, Duke taking on Kentucky. Kentucky favored by one point, and I love that this game is kicking off college basketball because in one corner you have Calipari, the guy who consistently gets blamed for the one and done culture, and these guys not getting their degrees. And on the other corner you have Mike Krzyzewski, who's kind of the, at least in the media, he's made up to be kind of the purveyor of education and protector of these basketball players' virginities. But but what makes this game interesting is that all you've heard all offseason is about the Duke freshman, the trio of Zion Williams, Cam Reddish, and R.J. Barrett. Going to be interesting to see how they are utilized in this game. Kentucky, on the other hand, returns a couple of players for the first time in recent memory. They've got P.J. Washington, Reed Travis, a very interesting graduate transfer from Stanford, and Nick Richards. I think the experience that comes with having Washington – And having these guys together, you know, both of these teams have taken trips abroad. Duke going to China, Kentucky having gone to the Bahamas in the offseason. That gives these teams extra period of time to kind of gel, get to know each other on an off-court basis. And I think that that experience assists the Wildcats get the job done and pull off the upset here. 
But this game's going to be interesting. You know, Duke, with all their size and athleticism, it's going to be very interesting to me to see what type of defensive framework they employ. If they were to go to a zone, that tells me that Coach K has concerns about his guys being able to guard Kentucky's guys one-on-one. But if they come out to man-to-man, then I think that favors Duke's ability to pull off the upset here. Kentucky, on the other hand, we know what they like to do. They're going to want to get out and run and spread the floor and move. And I think this is going to be a game that is a comes down to the last possession. Could very well see a buzzer beater here to kick off the college basketball year. But either way, it will be a lot of fun. I've got Kentucky pulling off the Vic, covering the spread here and winning this game. And But at the same time, if there were a game that I think you could see an update, it would be this one just because of the sheer athletes on the floor and how quick the pace of this game could be. So that's it for me today, guys. Like I said, get excited for college basketball being back. I will be back on Wednesday to preview the top group of five games this weekend, as well as discuss the most recent storylines in all of college sports and also to discuss these two basketball games and the first night of college basketball. Also, I'll give my updated Heisman Trophy standings and tell you why Will Greer is back as the biggest threat to to attack of Valoa. And as always, given that it will be Group of Five Wednesday, I will be previewing this weekend's top Group of Five games. So that's it for me today, guys. This is Inside You, the College Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Audic, and we are signing out. Have a great day. Bye.